evening, we're going to be in 1 John chapter number 2 again, 1 John chapter 2. And uh, with the Lord's help, we're going to get through 1 John chapter number 2. And uh, we've been in this for a few weeks, and I have enjoyed it. Uh, this time last week, everybody was waiting for the power to go out, I think, is about where everybody was, worried about storms and worried about everything. And I'm thankful that it appears that everybody is alive and doing well and got power back. So that's good. And uh, so I'm very thankful for what uh, the Lord's protection in that. Uh, as far as our lesson tonight, First John chapter number 2, I enjoyed a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was actually two weeks ago. We were finishing up with the whole mentality of verse 15, love not the world. And we've talked about several things in this particular chapter. And with God's help tonight, we're going to finish it. But I want to read you a portion of scripture here. And it's a little bit of length here. I won't read all of it. But we are going to look at it. But we're going to look at verses 18 through 29. But I would like to read some of the verses right now. And then we'll come back and look at it. But 1 John chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 18. The Bible says this. Little children. Now again, that's talking about believers, followers of Christ. Now they're saved. And little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went, out from among, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Lord, I pray you just help us as we do our Bible study tonight, Lord, as we just look in your word for a few moments. Lord, I do thank you so much for this time we can be together. Lord, as I just mentioned a moment ago, this time last week, a lot of us had a lot of anxiety about what was going to happen. But Lord, we do thank you that regardless of what may happen, good, bad, or indifferent, you, you're not just God, but you're the God of the storm. And Lord, we thank you for allowing us to get together tonight, Lord. I just, it gave me a new thought, Lord, just... I'm thanking you so much for this place we can get together and meet. And Lord, I pray you bless those that are here, Lord. It's so encouraging to see so many tonight. And Lord, I pray you bless them where they're at. Lord, there's some, probably somebody here tonight that's, that's maybe a little tired spiritually. Lord, maybe defeated. And Lord, maybe has some temptations in their life. Lord, I pray you'd help them. Lord, I pray for that one that's just hungering for you tonight. Lord, I pray you feed them from your word. And Lord, again, take me as your vessel, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this, and you probably see the handout here in front of you, uh, as we get to this part of 1 John chapter number 2, it's important to realize that, uh, that these verses have to be in context the whole section. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll tell you, sometimes I've been guilty of, and a lot of preachers a lot of time are guilty of, just grabbing a section of Scripture and just talking about it, and not really giving what the setting is, not giving what's going together with it, not giving the context of this passage. But can I tell you, verses 18 through 29 all go together. Like when we were looking two weeks ago, we looked at verses 15, 16, and 17. All three of those verses go together. All of chapter 2 
is one main thought that John is trying to describe. Just to remind you, John is very old in his life now. John is, some people think he's probably pushing um, maybe in his 80s. You know, he's an older man now, uh, and he's writing this book, and he's writing it to the church at Ephesus. And as he's writing to this church in Ephesus, he is not a young man anymore just seeing Jesus ascend. He's been through life, and he's looking back now trying to help this young church. By the way, isn't it a wonderful thing to always pass down knowledge and experience to people to try to help them out wherever they're at spiritually? And this church at Ephesus, he's telling them, he says, you know, you guys have really started to slip away from what Paul originally started you with. And as we connect this passage, there's a lot of what John is trying to teach here. And in John chapter 2, what John is ultimately trying to teach is this, that we live in the world, but we're not to be what? We're not to be of the world. And we are to what? have fellowship with God. And even though you're in the world and I'm in this world, and if you're like me, we get bombarded about things that are, that are against God, that are anti-God, if you will, like we're going to see in a moment. We have something that God offers us. He offers us fellowship and communion. Now, you think about how can I and how can you as believers in the midst of this crooked and perverse world have fellowship with God? How can we have fellowship with God the Father? How can we have fellowship with Christ? We have it through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And that's part that we don't like to acknowledge. We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We talk about God the Father. We talk about Jesus. But that part about God the Holy Spirit. And earlier in this chapter, John tells us of some things from verses 1 all the way through verse 17. He tells us of some things that want to rob you of your fellowship with God. You say, what's the big deal with fellowship with God? Well, I think there's a whole lot of people that are Christians that have a relationship with Christ, but don't have fellowship with Christ. You say, Brother Phil, you've been talking to us so long, don't just have a religion, have a relationship. Well, that's true. Once you leave the religion and you get a relationship with Christ, you should move on to fellowship with Christ where you continue to grow in that relationship with Him. But he tells in the beginning part of the chapter, a lot of things that can rob our closeness with God or interrupt that. Uh, he, he mentions back in verse number 5 through 8, he says, if we fail to keep his commandments, verses 5 through 8 of chapter 2, that hurts our fellowship with God. He mentions that if we don't love our fellow believers, remember it talks about if we have hatred in our heart against those that are in the body of Christ, verses 9 through 11, he said it hurts or interrupts our fellowship with Christ. And then like we looked at two weeks ago, if we fall in love with this world sinful system in verses 15 through 17, it will hurt or interrupt our fellowship with Christ. But can I tell you something? All of these first 17 verses have all been an inward struggle. They're all about inward struggle. i got to choose if I'm going to keep God's commandments. i got to choose if I'm going to love my, love my brother or sister in Christ. i got to choose if I'm going to not love the world or whether I am. And it all could stop there. But John says, as you all know, this Christian life is not just about the inward struggle. We face struggles from without. We face struggles from the outside. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. Starting in verse 18, he tells us the danger of the outside world in the sense of the outside evil influences. And what's really interesting about this, he says a lot of these dangers to us spiritually as believers doesn't come from ungodly, worldly people. It comes from people that were once in the church. It comes from people that know a little bit about God. It comes from people that may have grew up in church or know something about church. And as you see the list there, and there's a lot of things I know we're going to try to cover, but I want us to see some things tonight and just talking about this whole idea of abiding in Christ. If I say abiding in Christ, that means staying close to Christ. That means I'm staying close. I'm abiding in Christ. 
meaning that I'm there, I have residence, I have fellowship, I have closeness. Now, if I had to ask you if that describes your Christian life this week, this week, can you say that you have abided in Christ, that you have a closeness, a fellowship, a, a walk with Christ? Like if I said, hey, if you need to get a hold of God right now, something happened in your life, do you feel like you could talk to God right now, or do you feel like, well, there's some things I'd have to get right first, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, don't, we know we need to confess our sins, as it says in verse 9 of chapter 1, what, he's faithful and just, right? But what about those things not, that are not on the inside? What about those things that aren't me that's my biggest problem? I've told you that before. I really feel like my biggest opponent and enemy in my life spiritually is the person I look at in the mirror every day. Now, I may think it's somebody else, but what I want us to look at tonight is this. As Christians, there's a lot of people that name the name of Christ that follow some very bad and cultish doctrine. And what are we supposed to do about that? How do we do it? How do we abide in Christ and not get, we don't just follow whatever wind of doctrine it comes. The Bible says that there'll be a great falling away. That there'll be a time where people will be like having itching ears. They want to be taught. They want to hear the thing and the newest thing or the best thing or this great teaching. And they'll follow it away. But I want us to look tonight as it's talking about here in verse number 18. What are some things that can help us face those people on the outside that are trying to draw us away from Christ? Look in verse number 18, if you would. It says this. It says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist should come, even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, when I say Antichrist, everybody naturally thinks of what? We run to the book of Revelation, right? We run to the book of Revelation, we think of this big bad person that, you know, we think about that part there. And, and, and it's true. And you say, Brother Phil, we run to Revelation tonight? No, we're not running to Revelation tonight. But what John's trying to teach this church here <laughs> 2,000 years ago He's like, you're living in essence in the last day. And yes, there is an antichrist that will come. But if you notice in verse 18, he says, even now, there are many antichrists. And what does that mean, many antichrists? That means things that are anti-God. Things that are anti-what Christ teaches. Now, when we say antichrist, we think of someone that's totally opposed to God. And that's true. But Antichrist means this, to go against anything that teaches what Christ taught, anything that opposes that. And I want us to see some things tonight, because let's just be honest. There's people tonight that are in different religions and beliefs that you and I both know a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, they were in good Bible-believing churches, and they had good sound doctrine, and they were good following God's Word and God's teaching. And now they've got swept away by a false doctrine. You know, you think about it. Um, why is it that on Sunday morning, probably one of the largest Bible-believing churches in our country might have 3,000, 4,000 people? Now, I know I'm not going to make friends with this, but there'll be many mega churches out there that aren't teaching a right doctrine, and they'll have fifteen to 20,000 people following them. Why is that? Why is it that they follow some of this doctrine? Well, it's because they didn't abide in Christ. And that's what some things I want us to see. What's going to keep you... And I ain't saying stay in any manual. Emmanuel's not the only Bible-believing church in our county, okay? I'm not saying that. But what's going to keep you five years from now, two years from now, 
not being swept up and drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, of something that's not biblical, something that's not doctrinal. Number, first thing I want to say is, how do we recognize anti-Christian teaching? How do we recognize anti-Christian teaching or teachers, if you would? How do you recognize it? Some people, you look at them, it's not like they got, they got swept up in it, and it's not like they're mean, evil, vindictive people. They've just got, they didn't know. They just kind of went with the flow. Uh, first thing I want us to see is this. How, how do we recognize anti-Christian teaching or teachers? Number one, it says this. In verse number 19, read this. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So number one, how do we recognize anti-Christian teaching? Number one is this. They left the fellowship of the truth. They left the fellowship of the truth. What I mean is this. The truth was not enough. God's word, God's teaching wasn't enough. They left the fellowship of the truth. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, John's saying, they went out from us. They left us, but they weren't of us. Because if they were of us, they would be believing and preaching the truth just like we are. And, you know, I, I may have mentioned this to you. If I didn't, I know I mentioned it to Rachel. And, and forgive me if I didn't mention to you, you or not. I had somebody uh, about a month ago come up to me that I know. I have a loose association with them. And they said, hey, I got a question for you. I said, sure, hit me. What is it? And I know they came. They're a part of a church that's, I just don't feel like doctrinally they're on the, the page that I am spiritually with salvation especially and the question was this the question was well i'm really having a lot of thought about some things and i'm diving into the bible and i'm listening to what's being taught at my church but then i'm reading the bible and realizing there's a little bit of difference in that and the question was it said if you had to recommend a church in baldwin county that wasn't yours where would you go and i thought this is a trick question and it was. I found out later he was setting me up to see if I was so arrogant and prideful to think I was the only one that was teaching the truth. And I appreciate that. Well, I started telling him. I said, well, for my first question was this. I said, I know where you go to church. I understand your concern. I said, let me ask you first the number one question. What's, what are you looking for in a church? So what are you looking for? You're looking for programs. You're looking for styles. You're looking for music. You're looking for a certain order of service. I mean, what are you looking for? He says, I want to go somewhere where they teach the truth. I said, great. If that's the number one thing, here. And I started listing some places that they could go. I said, this is where I go. And I said, now, I don't know which is exactly your thing on standards, your standard on this, or your standard on that. I said, but if you're going for truth, let me give you these few guys here that I would tell you that I would go if I was in Baldwin County and I wasn't going to Emmanuel. And I think he was kind of surprised. I didn't say, well, there's nowhere <laughs> as far as that. But you know what I said? I said, but here's the issue. And I talk with many other pastors that have people leave their churches. And the people will look at them and say, we love your preaching. We love that you speak the truth. But it's just not enough. Can I tell you something? The word of God is always enough. It's always enough. In fact, it's it. There is nothing else to really go with it. I mean, it's got to be the truth of God. It's got to be what is taught. It has to be the main thing. And what has happened in this passage here is saying, what happened? They left the truth. They focused on something else other than the truth of God. And the truth of God has to be king. It has to be what it is that drives you. It has to be what feeds you. 
because the other things may encourage you, but they won't feed you. Um, second, second Peter, you can flip back probably maybe a page if you have to or two. Second Peter chapter number two, verses one and two. Peter had the exact same thought that John did in this particular thought. In Second Peter chapter two, verse one and two, he says this, but there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Did you see that in Second Peter 1? He says there's going to be false teachers. He didn't say out there. He says among you. There's going to be that's among you that know the truth and they leave the truth. If you ever heard the phrase an apostate. An apostate means this. An apostate is a person that knows the truth and leaves it anyways. That's what an apostate is. Apostasy, if you hear it that way. Apostasy is someone that knows the truth and leaves the truth for whatever reason in that. And so we see, number one, how do we recognize anti-Christian teachers, anti-Christian teaching or teachers, is that they leave the fellowship of the truth. They don't make the main thing the main thing. All right, number two. Number two, what is this? And I think we'd all agree this is a pretty slam dunk one. They deny that Jesus is Christ and is the only source of salvation. That Jesus is Christ and he is the only source of salvation. Now, if you, after you get that down, verse number 22. That Jesus is Christ and the only source of salvation. Look at verse number 22. It says this. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. That's pretty bold language. Now, you say, what do you, what do you mean by that? It says here that anybody that denies that Jesus is not just a good prophet, that Jesus says, okay, he was a good man, but it's anyone that says that Jesus is not the Messiah, that Jesus is not the only source of salvation. You want to know the definition of a cult? I'm probably not going to make a lot of friends here. The definition of cult is this. It is a thought that adds anything to salvation through Christ alone. That's the definition of a cult. Because it's anything that says that Jesus, faith in Christ, is for salvation. Jesus plus whatever you want to throw there. Baptism. You can throw in works. You can throw in anything you want to throw in. But that's the definition of a cult. Anything that says that Christ is not God or that Christ plus something manages or merits me salvation in that. So that's the definition. Like I said, it's not a fun thing I understand to say. But uh, just to have an idea how serious God is about Jesus is Christ, over in Isaiah chapter number 45, Isaiah 45, verse number 22. Isaiah 45, 22 says this. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. That makes it pretty simple. God saying to Isaiah, who says to the children of Israel, the only way you're going to get saved is through me. And he says, I am God and there's nobody else. We study in scripture, God is a jealous God. If you're like me, I have lots of friends that I love and care deeply for that either deny that Jesus is God or they say Jesus plus something else. 
The Bible says that's anti-Christian. It's anti-Christian. And like I said, I know that doesn't make a lot of friends when you say it that way. But, you know, it's, it's not that. I know it was not long ago. I guess it's been about four years ago. Um, I forgot the current pope's name. But the pope got up. And they were asking the Pope about the rise and spread of the Muslim faith that's spreading through Europe. And he says, what do you feel about those Muslims as far as whether they'll be in heaven? And the Pope said this. He says, I believe we'll all be in heaven because of our unified faith in God. We all believe in a God. Well, can I tell you, I'm not going to heaven because I believe in God. I'm going to heaven because of my exclusive faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ only in that. Now you say, Brother Phil, that makes you hating. No, it doesn't make me hating. It makes me Bible teaching. And if Bible teaching makes it where it doesn't sound loving, we can speak the truth. But we've got to speak it in love. I understand that. But salvation is in Christ alone. What does it say? There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's all through Christ. It has to be that. It's not being a good person. It's not any of those other things. But we have to recognize that anti-Christian teaching gets to the idea that it denies either that Jesus is Christ or the idea that it denies that there's salvation with anything else. And that hurts me because I have friends. I have loved ones. I have people that I pray for in that. But we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that. This is a total side note, but I find it interesting. You know, in our church, we send out missionaries. We do everything. Why? So people can hear about Christ. And I have a friend back in South Carolina that was a Muslim, and he got faith. He come to faith in Christ. A missionary led him to the Lord. He was from Turkey. And I remember talking to him. And I said, well, why don't you tell me, tell me about how the Muslim faith is spreading so fast. And he looked at me and said, Phil, you guys send out missionaries because there's nobody in these places to tell people about Jesus. He says, you know, we don't send out missionaries. He says, Muslim mosque doesn't have a board like you got. Like in South Carolina, we had a board in the back, kind of like we have here. We don't have a board where we send out. He says, we love our faith. So if we feel like there's a people that haven't heard, multiple families will get up and they'll move to another country. They'll move to another city so they can saturate that area and try to win those people to the Muslim faith. They said, we don't send out one or two missionaries. We feel like if there's people that need it, we love our faith so much, we just move there and we just take over. What is it? I think it said the year I was born, I remember this, in, in, in England in 1978, the year I was born, there were five Muslim mosques in the entire country of England. Now they say there's over 5,000 in the country of England. England. England doesn't sound Muslim, <laughs> does it? But it's because, you know what, but they don't teach. Doesn't mean I hate those people. By the way, you can disagree, and this is something I don't think our society understands today. You can disagree with somebody without hating them. And you can disagree with someone without having a vindictive, evil-spirited attitude. It's all in how you handle yourself in that. So anyways, that was fun. But anyhow, number three. All right? Number three, you have to recognize this. Number three is that if they're trying to seduce believers... Who would he say? Recognize an anti-Christian teacher if they try to seduce believers. Say, what do you mean seduce believers? Look in verse number 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. That word seduce there means the idea of lulling you away from what you're already committed to. Just the idea that you're already committed to something or someone and to seduce means 
to very lovingly and very secretly and very quietly try to draw you away. And, you know, you have to be careful about that. You have to be careful. If someone comes up to you and you know they don't believe the truth and they want to talk to you and they want to talk to you about those things, you know what you have to do? You, I, I don't have a problem in the world listening to some people. But you know what? You need to be careful about somebody because just about any religion in the world can throw a verse at you and make that verse say about whatever they want to say. I've told you about my experience with, with Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, they, they gave me about five or six great verses like this says this and this says this and this says this. And I said, great, let's see what the whole passage is saying. Let's understand that. Now, you don't like me anymore. But anyhow, you know, but I, I was able to do this. I didn't slam the door and say, get out of my face, you ungodly people dying and going to hell. You say, well, at least you stood your ground. Yeah, but I had no chance to minister to those people. By stopping and taking the Bible and saying, I, I, I listen to what you're saying, but I want you to know you're taking that verse out of context because you're just picking a verse here and picking a verse there and picking a verse here. If I can tell you what that passage is talking about here, and if I can give you another passage to talk about who Jesus is and how salvation's in Christ and Christ alone, hey, would you read that for yourself? Do you think that does better or slamming a door and hollering at them and making fun of them? You know, I'm, I'm not going to win them that way. Now, there's going to be some very persistent people, and you just got to say, <laughs> bye. You know, I ain't going to be with you. But the idea of doing that part, Matthew 24, 24, Jesus actually warns his disciples about being seduced away from the truth. And Matthew 24, 24, he says this, For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Meaning that if it's possible, they'll try to deceive those that are following Christ. And it says they, they know how to do that. So, number one, I think what we need to realize is you've got to be able to recognize false teaching. Now, like I said, please understand, I'm not saying do it in an ugly attitude. Do it in the right attitude. But we've got to be able to recognize this. If someone says 90% of what they say is truth, but in the end they say that their salvation is something other than faith in Christ, all of it's worthless. It's all worthless. Because you know what? Don't be seduced by the other 90%. The other thing that they say is good because if we mess up the main thing, what does it matter if the main thing is messed up? All right, so secondly, we see this and have a little dot here. How do we avoid following anti-Christian teaching? How do we avoid it? Look in verse number 20. In verse number 20, it says this. It says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. You say, okay, Brother Phil, what does that mean? Well, here's the idea. We recognize anti-Christian teaching, and how do we avoid it? This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. You're a believer. You know Christ as your Savior. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Do you see that in the verse? It says, and ye have an unction from the Holy One. That means this. You have an anointing from the Holy One. This is a great quote I heard. It says this. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to communicate God's Word to us. Let me say it again. The Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to communicate God's Word to us. That's the great thing. Have you ever heard some preaching or teaching, or have you ever read your Bible on your own, and the Holy Spirit inside of you, you man, He gives you some joy, you get some comfort, you get some peace. Why is it? Because you're in the Word of God, and that Spirit of God is speaking to you. I mean, I want to ask you this, because I know it's a question you, you guys would all have the same answer. Um, have you ever read a passage of Scripture and got something out of it to only later read the same passage of Scripture and get something else out of it? You know why? 
because you're still reading the Word of God, but the Spirit of God that lives inside of you is using that unction. He's helping you. He's showing you what you need to know and to help you in that. And if you're like me, you ever wonder, why doesn't God just tell me everything that 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 verse could possibly mean? Why doesn't God just give me everything on all things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to them? Why don't God just tell me every possible application to to that thing? Well, the reason is, is because God may use the application he gives me today for something I'm about to face in my life. And I might, six months from now, a year from now, read that and God speak to me in another way. And God's saying, I'm going to give you that now to help you where you're at now in your life spiritually and what you're facing. I love it that God doesn't give me everything I want. I love that. I hate it sometimes, but I love it ultimately that he, that he gives me what I need for the moment to understand those things. And so how do we avoid it? What we have to do, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to listen to that Holy Spirit that's inside of us, that communicates that truth. Now, now I do want to say something real quick here. In verse number 27, there's a lot of, there's a weird, interesting thought about verse 27. Okay, we so okay. Say, Brother Phil, I'm saved. I have the unction of the Holy One. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me that will speak to me as I read the Bible, as I pray, as I listen to preaching, teaching, all those things. That's great. Verse 27 says this. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it is ta- hath taught you, ye shall abide. Now you say, what, do you, what, what does that mean? I know a lot of people that use verse 27 for this. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a Sunday school teacher. I don't need anybody to teach me because verse 21 says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And it says, and you need not that any man teach you. Okay? That verse is not saying you don't need a preacher. It doesn't say you don't need a good uh, person in your life, whether it's someone that gives you accountability. It doesn't mean you don't need a good mentor to help you explain the scripture. It's not what it's saying. But it is saying this, that you can on your own get in this book right here on your own and study it, and God can speak to you. Don't get me wrong. I love it that you're here tonight. But if the only time God speaks to you through his word is when you're in this room, you're really missing out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Because he desires it. It's not saying, it's the exact opposite of what people say. Well, I don't have to go to church. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, don't let the only time the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this book or through some circumstances in God in your life, don't let it be just when you're in Sunday school or with that person you call that you need some advice from. Let it be a time that you're constantly yielded to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through His Word. You know, you think about it. The Christian in fellowship with God will understand the Bible but they'll do it personally. Ask yourself the question. If you didn't go to church for the next three months, you didn't go to church for the next three months, you didn't go to Sunday school for the next three months, you didn't listen to preaching on the radio for the next three months, how much personally will you grow in Christ if it's just you and that book right there? Because here's the thing. It's not just you in this book. It's you It's the Word of God, and it's the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. That's why a lot of times people that miss church for multiple periods of time come back and say, Man, 
You know, I just haven't grown at all. I need to get back to church so I can grow. I understand that thought, but I can grow in Christ too sitting at home. I can grow in Christ too reading this on my job. I have to be willing for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I have to be willing for that. And you think about it, if you took away your church services, your preaching, everything that you get, your devotions that you get from people, if all that gets stripped away from you and your Christian growth was based just on you and that book alone, how much would you grow? How much would you grow? And that's to help you avoid it. Because here's why. When you stay away from church and you stay out of that book and you quit listening to good preaching and you quit listening to good godly people that give you advice in your life, that's when the anti-Christian teaching comes in. And that's when you get swept away. And that's when you go down a path you don't want to go down. All right, so verse number 28 and 29 give us the reality of anti-Christian teaching. What's the reality in this, okay? Look at verse 28 and 29. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, him being Christ, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Okay, so what is the reality of anti, anti-Christian teaching? Or what does that mean? What I mean, how can I show the reality that I'm not being led astray? What is the evidence? And I'll just say evidence and incentive. What's the evidence that I'm not following any anti-Christian teaching? The evidence is this, is this, is that we believe the truth and we're committed to it. Now, I don't know if you noticed that. I put a conjunction in there, and. I believe the truth, and I'm committed to doing it. If I believe it, that's a heart. If I'm committed, that's an action. If I believe, that's word. If I'm committed, that's deed. There's a lot of us as Christians, and I say us because I fall in this, this boat, is that we believe, but we don't commit. Commit requires action. It requires action. If you walked up, if I walked up to you, and let's say tonight you were having, and I don't know of anyone having this, if you are, I'm sorry. You're saying, man, I'm having some car trouble. And let's just say, for instance, you know, Whatever, let's say Brother Rob comes up to me and says, man, my, I, need, I need a new car. My car blew up. And I said, Brother Rob, I want you to know, brother, that I'm praying for you. And, I'm gonna, and I, have, I believe that God's going to supply you with a car. And I believe that God wants me to give you $5,000. Now, he's probably going to laugh knowing who it's coming from. I understand that. Now, he can believe, and I can believe I'm going to give him five grand, But he wants me not just to believe. What does he want me to do? Commit. He wants me to do it. A lot of us in our Christian life, we do a lot of believing, but we do very little committing. We do a lot of not the doing and following through with our faith in that. So I don't know if anyone needs a car, but don't ask me for five grand. Okay, that's not at all. I got this out of the message tonight. Okay, that's not what it's saying. But the evidence is you believe the truth, but you're also committed to it. And committed is the way you live outside of church. You say, Brother Phil, why do you have incentive here? Because I believe John gives some pretty big incentive on why we should believe and commit to it. Here's why. Look at the verse. That when he shall appear, that's Christ, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know what the incentive is to living holy? It's the coming of Christ. The incentive for me to live holy is the idea that at any moment, Christ could return or I could go to him. You ever thought about that? You know what the incentive is for me to follow the truth and not get swept up in things that are anti-Christian teaching? Is that at any moment, I could be standing before God. I could at any moment be standing before God. 
And, and I'll, I'll close with this. Okay? And, you know, as we conclude chapter 2, and by the way, I've really enjoyed looking at this for the weeks. And if you didn't get all the weeks, we got them on the website. You're, you're welcome to listen to them. Um, you know what the main thought here, I really believe, in chapter 2 is? And I have it down here on the sheet. If Christians desire to have fellowship with Christ, you don't want just a relationship with Christ. You want to be close to him. You want to abide in Christ. If you really want to, if you really want to fellowship with Christ, it requires these things. It requires that we obey the word of God. It requires that we love God's people. And it requires that we believe the truth. It requires that we obey the word of God, that we love God's people, and that we believe the truth. If I want to have fellowship with God and not just a Sunday morning relationship with Him, then I'm going to obey it. It means action. I'm going to love who God loves. And the Bible says that God loved the church. What does it say? Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. That means I'm going to love people of God just like God does. But it also says I'm going to believe the Word of God. And I just put that at the bottom. Um, and just think about this. Think of the opposite of all those things. If I don't obey, if I don't love, and I don't believe, you know what I'm saying? I don't care about following God. I don't care about relationship, uh, fellowship with God. And I put this down. If nothing else, I put it for me. It's a, it's a quote I got from Warren Wearsby. It says this. It is not enough to talk about the Christian life. We must practice it. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to get up tonight and talk about it. What is enough is for us to leave these doors tonight and actually practice it. Well, I appreciate your time tonight. I know I went over a little bit, but I appreciate you being here. But let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, again, I hope you have a good week. And I encourage you, exercise that verse 20, that unction from the Holy One that you have. Exercise that relationship. Allow God to use His Word and allow Him to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you through His Word.